0: There is a term that you may have heard if you were paying attention to history. A hard thing to do when you're in school, amen? Now for me, I was a history major, and and I love history, and it's exciting to me. And I always try to tie it back, but there's a term that was used of Julius Caesar, and it was called crossing the Rubicon. The Rubicon was a small stream in northern Italy and it marked the boundary wherewith all the generals who served Rome could not go any further with their armies. The armies had to stay out of Rome, and they did that because of threat of overthrowing the Republic of Rome. And it was Julius Caesar who in 49 B.C. decided to cross the Rubicon. When he crossed the Rubicon, It was as if saying, all bets are off, there is no turning back. It was a declaration of war, and he knew it. For the next four or five years, they would be engaged in war, and finally, the Republic would fall, and it would give rise to a dictatorship called the Roman Empire. Julius would only last about a year in that role before he was assassinated. If you're familiar with Shakespeare, you know some of those lines but he declared himself to be the dictator, shaking the entire Roman Republic. Rome had passed to a point of no return. The Rubicon had been crossed. In some ways, in America, is in a danger of crossing a Rubicon, reaching a point of no return. Evil has been unleashed from the highest levels, but at the same time, I've got good news. The Spirit of God is moving. Amen. I have never seen a time where I really believe the Spirit of God is moving more powerfully than he is right now. I want to show you a couple of pictures. This is from last week at Esperanza High School. And I want you to see, just just leave that one up there for a moment. I want you to see this is during the lunch hour of students at the high school. They're listening intently to the word of God as Pastor Allen is preaching the, the gospel to them. Now I don't know how many is there, but if I'm a good guesser, that's at least 150, maybe 200 people. That's on their lunch break. They're making a statement. When they go in there, they're telling every one of their friends and classmates, I'm going in and it's called the Jesus Club. So it's, it's not the religious club. It's the Jesus Club. You're going into the Jesus Club. And uh, we should be starting Canyon soon, and we've got two more on the schedule that we're going to start. And we're going to infiltrate the places where people need to hear the gospel. Amen? You know, when you come to a point of no return, there is no turning back. Hell may pour out evil on the land, but you refuse to bow to the spirit of the age. Your only option when you cross a Rubicon is victory. You have found your personal Rubicon when you say, I'm not turning back from Jesus. I'm not gonna compromise my faith. There is no turning back. God's plan for the age will override all that the enemy has planned, trust me. You might see these minor victories, or these people get away with things in high offices, but trust me, that's temporary. God has a plan, and that plan is greater than the plan of man. You know, the thing that made the church the strongest in the first century was when they faced persecution. Because all of a sudden they realized, wow, we had no idea that we were hated like Jesus. Jesus said, if they've hated me, they're going to hate you. Don't be shocked when people don't want to hear your message. Don't be shocked when they think you're crazy for going to church. Don't be alarmed when people say, are you kidding me? Because you're committed to God? That is normal. If they're not saying that, you should look at your own self and see why you're not getting a reaction out of people. We, oughta, we ought, people ought to, people ought look at us and go, you are crazy and you go, thank you. Amen. I want to be crazy for Jesus. You see, God's plan of the age will override all of this. The church will stretch beyond the limits of culture and government. When you push people far enough, the enemy will always overplay his hand. And when he overplays his hand, guess what the church does? Oh, no, you don't. Wait a minute, we're gonna find ways to win because no weapon formed against you will prosper, says the Lord. This is the heritage of the servants of Almighty God. You see, we will not be shaken in either mind or in spirit because God has not given us a spirit of fear that we might fall back into, but one of love, power, and of a sound mind. And guess what? You can do all of that with a sweet spirit. You don't have to be made obnoxious. You don't, have to, you don't have to raise up and somehow you know, get mad at people because they don't agree with you. you just love them as Jesus loves them. When you determine you're gonna stand, you will not be silenced. You will not bow down to the spirit of the age. You will put on the whole armor of God and you will take up the sword of the spirit. You will cross your Rubicon. You see, when Jesus wrote into Jerusalem on March 30th, A.D. 33, you say, how do you know the date? Well, it's a very complicated process, but it actually, it was given in the book of Daniel the exact day when Jesus would write in, and you can calculate it up, Daniel predicted it 600 years before that, and the date was exactly March 30th, A.D. 33, and when he wrote in, he knew there was no turning back, this was his Rubicon. A prophetic announcement of the coming Messiah was found in the book of Zechariah, chapter 9 and verse 9. Listen to it. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout out, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. He is just, having salvation, lowly, riding on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. You see, when Jesus mounted up that donkey to ride in on that day, he knew exactly what he was doing. He was fulfilling prophecy written 500 years earlier by Zechariah the prophet. No one would be in doubt who knew the scriptures, not the Pharisees or the Sadducees. Those were the religious leaders of, the, of, the, of Judaism. They knew exactly what was happening in that moment. The timing was unmistakable. Jesus was making a declaration He is the Messiah, he is the King of Israel, and every eye was fixed upon him. What's really interesting, if you read the story, in the Luke's account, you'll notice that the thing that follows, the story that follows him writing in Jerusalem is when he goes in and he overturns the tables in the temple and said, "My my house shall be, my father's house shall be a house of prayer for all people and you have made it a den of thieves. Now, you might think about the lowly Jesus riding in and, and cute kids saying, Hosanna, and waving palm leaves, but I want you to know, Jesus powered up. Yeah. He went in. I mean, can you imagine this? This is the scene. A lot of people get this wrong idea of Jesus. Like, you know, he's like this milk toast, passive little guy that walks around, you know, giving the peace symbol all the time. <laughs> I want you to know, he was a strong man who really believed, Had conviction. Yeah. Had conviction. See, he was meek, but weak, but not weak. See, meekness is power under control. Weakness is obvious, it's just weakness. He came in and he was meek, humble, but he was strong and a person of conviction. That's what God calls us to be. Now, it's interesting because following that passage in Zechariah chapter 9 and verse 9, when when it gives this prophetic announcement, in verse 12, listen to what it says. Return to the stronghold, you prisoners of hope. Even today I declare that I will restore double to you. You know what the stronghold is? God. You see, when you return back to God, guess what? You're in the stronghold of almighty God's power and authority. And God says, in that place, you know what I'm going to do for you? I'm going to restore back double to you. Do you know, every time God makes a promise to his people in the word of God, he says, if you're faithful in this, he always promises a great return. Some 20-fold, some 60-fold, some 100-fold. Here, it's double. I'm going to return back double to you if you will follow me. You see, he was, uh, he was making an unmistakable claim to be the Messiah. Multiple times, he declared himself to be the Messiah. Many, many times, they said, are you saying that you are? And he said, I am. Do you realize, when they, when they picked up stones to stone him, they made this comment. Him, being a man, makes himself to be God. God. They knew exactly what Jesus was saying. Jesus was saying, when he said, I am the Son of Man, it was a term of the Old Testament to refer to the coming Messiah. So they knew the reason they were so bent on crucifying him because he was a threat to everything they stood for. Listen to what it says in Luke chapter 19. This is the account that we're talking about today. And he, Jesus, was now drawing near to the descent of the Mount of Olives. The whole multitude of the disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice and with mighty works of all the mighty works they have seen. Can you imagine? They're standing there and what I'm saying. Do you remember when he raised Lazarus from the dead? Do you remember? Do you remember when he healed that young girl? Do you you remember when he walked on the water? Do you remember when he multiplied the bread and this talk was going on? They were talking about the mighty works of God. Do you know when you start talking about what God's doing in your life and you start hearing people talk about what God's doing in their life, you know what happens to you? Man, your spirit jumps. You go, I want God to do something in my life. I want to be a part of that too. I don't want to be left out of anything that God's up to. And it says, uh, And they said, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. See, this was a messianic term. This was saying, this is the promise fulfilled in scripture. Do you realize that Jesus fulfilled about 100 Old Testament prophetic words in the Old Testament They were fulfilled in his life? You say, well, couldn't a guy just engineer that and kind of figure out how to do a bunch of them? Well, I don't know if you can engineer where you're gonna be born, how you're gonna die, that you're going to get a rich man's tomb. I mean, if you stop and think about it, it's just like the odds are so out there that it's astronomical. And they said, peace in heaven and glory to the highest. You know why he rode a donkey? Because when a king came into a town, if if he was seeking peace, he rode a donkey. If he was seeking war, he rode a horse. That's why he rode a donkey. And he said, I am a man of peace. I've come to bring peace. But in Revelation 19, verse 11, when he returns in the second coming, he's on a horse. See, things are gonna change up there. So his claim was unmistakable. He made an unmistakable claim that everyone was aware of what was happening here. He also was making a final appeal. Do you realize this is the final appeal? This is where you have to either embrace me as king or reject me as king. And it would only be a few days later that he would be crucified on Friday they had rejected him as king. Even those Jewish leaders who knew exactly what he was claiming to be, they said, they said, give us Barabbas, give us the thief, give us the crook rather than Jesus. Spare Barabbas, crucify Jesus. Pilate washed his hands and he said, I find no fault in this man. Yeah. And the Jewish religious leader said, let his blood be upon our heads and on the heads of our children. They called a curse upon their whole nation in that day. You see, in Luke chapter 19, look what it says, verse 39, going on with the story. And some of the Pharisees called on him from the crowd. Teacher, rebuke your disciples. But he answered and said to them, I tell you that if these should keep silent, the stones immediately would cry out. I think he was pointing to Jerusalem. You see the stones that hold that up? Even the stones and the foundations of God are going to be rattled. Later on, not too far from this passage, he said, you see, this, you see this temple? You destroy it, and in three days, you'll raise it up. And he said, and there's going to come a destruction on Jerusalem, and no stone will be left unturned. Now, those stones that hold up that foundation weighed on an estimate somewhere between 20 and 30 tons, When Titus came in in 70 AD, they burned the temple to the ground. They destroyed it the best they could. And then they realized that the temple was filled with gold. And all that gold began to melt in the fire, and it made its way down in between the cracks and the crevices in those big stones that weighed 20 and 30 tons. And when they realized, they began to move the stones out of the way, thus fulfilling scripture, because it says you will leave no stone unturned to get the gold out. This was prophetic word that Jesus spoke. Look in John chapter 12 and verse 19. The Pharisees therefore said among themselves, you see that we are accomplishing nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. He said, said, quiet your people down. Don't let them give praise to you. Quiet them. Don't praise God. Do you know what the enemy always does? He wants to silence praise. He wants you not to praise God. When you get in a tough situation, things aren't going well, he wants you to gripe and complain and blame God. Why? Because that's exactly what he wants you to do and exactly the opposite of what God wants you to do. You know what happens when you praise God in the middle of a tough thing? God comes through. Sometimes your circumstances change. Sometimes it doesn't. But your attitude and your power and your presence you have in that situation is what's important. You know, some of you in this room, and I just, I, this is not part of my sermon. I just, I just felt like the Lord wanted me to say it. Some of you are not going to find power and freedom until you exercise forgiveness. There's something you're harboring against someone. Might be in this room, might be in your family. And you think you're in control because you're mad at them and you're punishing them. but I want you to know that you're in bondage, and you can't find freedom. You see, forgiveness is for you, not for the other person. What if they don't say they're sorry? It's not about them, it's all about you. Forgiveness is a Greek word. It means something you throw away from you. When you throw throw bitterness and anger and hurt away from you, you experience complete freedom. Now that's just a sermonette within the sermon, okay? But if it's for you, you know, listen, listen. You see, the Pharisees in this moment, they realize that their authority is slipping away. They demanded the praise stop now, stop singing, much like the governor said, don't sing in church. He knew the power, somehow, he knew the power was in our praising. Amen? All right? They knew, they knew he was accepting the recognition as the Messiah. They knew. The Rubicon had been crossed. It was too late. Matthew chapter 21 says this. When he had come into Jerusalem, all of the city was moved. And it's the Greek word where we get our word, seismic. An earthquake. They said said basically when he came into the city, the whole city shook like an earthquake would shake a city. And they said, who is this? Who is this that is shaking the very foundations of our very city? Who is this? The multitude said, this is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth of Galilee. Oh, they knew that name. Many times they tried to arrest him and catch him and put him into prison, but somehow he eluded them because it wasn't his time. You see, even on the cross, it says he could have called on legions of angels to rescue him, but you see, he did not because he was fulfilling his mission. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. It was all about redemption, about forgiveness. See, the eternal impact of the Messiah. I want you to get in your mind that that scene on that Jerusalem day with those palm branches, crying out, Hosanna, crying out to the king. You've got them in your mind? All right, now let me read to you Revelation chapter seven. After this, John said, I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number. Now, this is during the time of the tribulation on earth. He said, John said, I was writing, and there were so many people I couldn't even write. I couldn't come up with a number of how many there were. I couldn't even estimate. Other times, we see that there looks like he's estimating, and he'll say there was about 5,000 there at the feeding of the 5,000. But that was just men. I didn't even count the women and children, John says. But here he writes, he says, I saw a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages standing before the throne and before the Lamb clothed in white robes. And look what it says, with white palm branches in their hands. What is going on here? This sounds like what we read about on Palm Sunday, doesn't it? What is happening in this passage Let's read on. And they were crying crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. This sounds like the next generation of Palm Sunday, doesn't it? Who are these people? What is this great multitude that John said he could not even number? Well, Scripture tells us in Revelation chapter seven and verse 14, these are the ones who came out of the great tribulation and washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the lamb. These were the martyrs who suffered during the tribulation because they refused to to bow their knee to Antichrist. These are those who did not get raptured. These are those who mostly are Jews. These are those who are saved in the kingdom under the auspices of that, under the watch care, under that that crushing dominance of that anti-God spirit of Antichrist. But you see, something's gonna happen. Soon, and I don't know when, but soon there's going to be a rapture taking away of the true church. Not all the people who call themselves Christians, the true church, who've really been redeemed and born again. They're gonna be taken from this earth. The Bible says that that God is gonna take the restraints off. The restrainer will, will stop his efforts, and this whole country, this whole world will be turned loose into utter chaos under the one who's called the man of peace, who will say, I can bring order, and all you have to do is just bow your knee to me, worship my idol, and just receive the mark on your hand or on your forehead, and it's all gonna be good. But some say no. We remember now. I remember a a grandmother. I remember an aunt, an uncle. I remember a dad. I remember a brother telling me about this time. I remember there was something coming. And this is it. And I will not bow my knee in that moment. I will stand for Jesus. The Bible says there's coming a day when every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Let it be in this day that you bow the knee. Let it be now that you bow the knee and say, I will follow Jesus. Jesus said this in Luke chapter nine and verse 23, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. That is normal Christianity. I gotta die to self every day. I gotta take up my cross every day. I gotta follow him every day. In Matthew chapter seven, it says, enter by the narrow gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And there are many who go by it because narrow is the gate and difficult is the way which leads to life. And there are few, there are few. Can I just remind you, there are few who will find it. The majority of the population of planet Earth will not find Jesus. But if you found him, then tell someone else. If you found him, follow him every day. If you found him, live for him, honor him. Follow the the rules of the kingdom which is found written in the word of the living God. This is the truth, this is the life, this is the way. Jesus said no man can come to the Father except by me. That if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, the great promises is this, you will be saved, redeemed, rescued. What great message that is. That's why the gospel is called the good news. The good news. I heard a story of a family that visited a church and they had a cross right in the center of the stage. And they were just kind of trying out churches, you know, kind of like you do a restaurant. And uh, as they were leaving, the mom and dad were talking and one of them liked the music, one of them liked the sermon. And you know, the the teenager said, uh, I don't know. And they were talking about all the different churches they tried out. And uh, little boy said, you know, I want to go to that positive church. What's the positive church? Well, that one with the plus sign on the, on the stage. Hey, it's a plus, all right. It's a plus to follow Jesus. Amen. Amen. Let's stand with me, would you? Stand with me and let's, uh, let me just uh, lead you in this prayer. If, you've, if, you've, uh, if you were moved today and you said, you know, Pastor, I, I've got some unforgiveness in my heart. I want you to be released today. I'm gonna to pray first of all for that. You can, you can repeat these words if you want, you can say them softly where you stand or sit, or uh, you can shout them to the rooftop, whatever, but it, it's a prayer of release. Pray like this. Dear Jesus, I need to be released from bitterness, from anger, from unforgiveness. I can't carry this weight any longer. I ask you to set me free. Give me a spirit of love toward that one who hurt me. I pray that you'll restore me to fullness of joy and happiness. That I can really love even those who don't love me if that was your prayer, just thank God for releasing you right now. Just release them. Release it. You know, that person that you just released might even be alive. They might be dead. They might be unwilling to talk to you. That's okay. It's not about them, it's about you. Now I'm gonna show you something. This is really important for everyone in this room. This is really important. Here's how you prevent slipping back into the same old anger pattern again. Are you ready? All right, so what I want you to do is I want you to imagine that person is standing in front of you right now that you just forgave. And I want you to say to them, I forgive you. And then you just go on and just, whatever that pattern is, for doing this, doing this, doing this. And I want you to know, um, I totally release you from anything that you have over me because I release you from everything. And here's this. Here's the key. Here it is. Ready? Now, Jesus, I'm going to put a cross between me and the offense, and I'm not going to go back to that offense except through the cross, because it's the blood of Christ that cleanses us from all sin. And unforgiveness, and anger, and hurt is sin. It's never justified. So Jesus, I plead the blood of Jesus over me, over my situation, and I put a cross between me and the offense, and the offender, and I refuse to go back there except through the cross. And if you go back through the cross, you're gonna go back in love, amen? You're just gonna go back in love, say, I, just, I can't help but love you, I don't wanna love you, darn it, but every time I go through the cross, I just wanna love you. You see, it's when you take the cross out and you let the offense become your God, that's when you get trapped. Satan loves to trap you. He got you, he got you by the by the big toe. Man, not gonna let you go. Amen. You just gotta say no to that. No to that. If you've never received Christ, I want you to receive Christ today. I want you to leave here with your name written in the Lamb's Book of Life. Amen. Amen. And you can just pray a prayer like this. Pray it out loud. You just If you brought a friend with you and you're not sure they're saved, look at them and say, I think you're not saved. Why don't you pray this prayer? I'll pray it with you, amen? Amen, because you want to see your friends saved. Who doesn't want to see their friends saved? All right, it goes like this. Dear Lord Jesus, just say it out loud. Dear Lord Jesus, I believe that you died on a cross, rose from the dead, to give me life. I confess to you that I am a sinner, that I need forgiveness. I confess that you are Lord, you are King, you are Savior. Save me, Lord Jesus, right now. Right now, Lord Jesus, write my name in the Lamb's Book of Life. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Amen. If you prayed that prayer, raise your hand up and just say, hey, God bless you. All of you, raise your hand. God bless you. God bless you.